This program made possible by grants from Nemo Health, Speakeasy, TrackNet, and DocShop Pro. In just a moment, the program will begin. Here we are, John, live for episode uh, six, six. Six, episode six, how time flies, huh? It is, it is moving really, really quick, and uh, that is uh, something. Um, so we got a lot to get to. We got a special guest tonight, which will be really, really good. Um, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, last week's episode because we got so much email on it and so much stuff has happened since then that we need to say a couple things. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we got a lot of email uh, thanking us for explaining what Speakeasy is, the uh, voice command software. Uh, I heard uh, from Alan Bass, our, our last guest, uh, who talked about it also, that he's gotten a lot of positive feedback on it. Uh, we've gotten a lot of requests for more information. We got a lot of requests for um, uh, people wanting to sign up for it and how do they do that. And we talked about it. Uh, I didn't expect the uh, overwhelming response that we got because we just hit a nerve with, with our profession of documentation according to LCD guidelines and doing it in a voice manner where you don't take minutes but seconds to do a note. That is just incredible. So yeah. Yeah. we also got some very... Also got some very nice feedback from present users as well in those emails. Absolutely, absolutely. It's always great to hear. Yeah, I, I know it, it was it was incredible. Um, so let's go on uh, today. Tonight's topic is something that affects every single practitioner. Every single one of our colleagues uh, is affected by this, and some people are stuck in a rut in, in, in this topic, and we're gonna try and get them out of a rut, and our, our guest tonight will help us with that. We're gonna talk about revenue cycle management, uh, dollars and cents, and um, there's a lot to be said on this topic, and I know both John, uh, yourself, and, and myself have gone across the country lecturing over the years about this topic, and I felt that it, it fell on deaf ears until the COVID uh, crisis hit, where people started re-examining their costs and their ability to function. Uh, and we're gonna get into that tonight. Um, so we have a special guest that is a specialist on re revenue cycle management. Um, John, you wanna introduce her or you want me to? Jeff, you can introduce her. I'm gonna be asking her some very good questions. And I think, um, I think everybody is gonna find uh, that she has a very, very fun personality that I think will be the highlight of tonight's episode. Okay, excellent. So tonight's guest is uh, Margie McLean. She is uh, the CEO and uh, founder of a company called QMAX. Uh, and we'll talk about that when she gets on. Um, and people should know that we know her very, very well because she is the backbone of support for Nemo Health Medical Billing. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, a few years back when we associated with Margie, uh, some of our clients uh, weren't as happy until they got to know uh, improvements and see what a great job they do. 
And uh, I'll tell you, after looking all the reports over the last 10 years of, of billing for clients, uh, I'm extremely happy of how her company has handled that and our joint relationship has really benefited all of our colleagues. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, so um, let's, uh, let's bring Margie in. Oh, there she is. Okay, you're on Margie. There you are. Hey guys. Excellent, good to how see you. you? Um, and you are coming from uh, all the way from Texas, correct? All the way from Texas and it is currently at uh, almost 6 p.m., 105 degrees. Well, now there's a reason we don't live in Texas. There you go. <laughs> yeah, 105 degrees. Oh boy, I I've got some colleagues there. I've got I've got some family in Texas in Houston, and uh, that humidity is incredible. And just the heat. And every time there's a hurricane, it seems Texas gets a little part of it, just not to be left out. So uh, you got a lot to contend with. <laughs> but that's not what you're on. You're on because we want to talk about revenue cycle management. And we want to pick your brain and your expertise of what you've seen over the years for podiatry. And we're going to talk about uh, this horrible topic that doctors kind of go, oh, I'm not so sure about outsourcing your billing and, and hiring professionals to get you more money and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, if you're ready, we're going to start grilling you with everything that's in the minds of our colleagues. I'm ready. Excellent. That's dangerous. Very dangerous. Yes, very. I'm nervous about that, but go ahead. Right. So, so uh, yeah, Jeff, let me let me lead off with the first question here. And I'm going to emphasize something that you said momentarily uh, moments ago that, um, you know, when we partnered, when we first partnered with Margie and QMAX, it was at a time where Nemo Medical Billing themselves our, ourselves were going through a transition period. And as you mentioned, we had uh, we had originally partnered with a team that could have done a lot better and we are now experienced we're now experiencing the polar opposite the the customers of nemo medical billing couldn't be more pleased i'm on every quarterly call with these customers guiding them in their practice metrics and giving them some insight from my business background but we also survey them and they, they couldn't be more pleased so margie I, I want to start by thanking you and your team for what you're doing. Thank you. And it really is a team. I mean, it really is a team effort. And uh, all the managers that work with Nemo are really incredible people. Great. Terrific. Thank you. So um, is there anything you want to expand upon your introduction before I hit you with the first question? Anything you want to talk about as far as QMAX and, and Nemo Medical Billing? Uh, no, just that uh, one of the things that QMAX has done for the last 27 years we're in business is that it matters to us who we're in business with. Uh, we're not just in business to uh, be able to sign up the most providers, but we're in business with people that have a vision for the future. And I think that's one of the key things that we, we see within Nemo, uh, not just with your product and the positive changes that are happening there, but the other things that you're doing for the podiatry uh, your colleagues out there is really incredible. And we, even though we're not a part of that, we like being the vision of what you're doing. And that's, that's why we are so uh, proud to be a part of it. And it's, it's, you know, and to help move things along in the right direction. That's great. That's great. All right. First question, Margie should be fairly, I think all these questions will be fairly straightforward and simple. Um, if you will describe what you see as 
some of the biggest challenges that doctors face in revenue cycle management, and I'm talking about those who tackle this business process themselves, you know, operationally, what are some of their challenges operationally in performing their revenue cycle management tasks in-house? When we started our business 27 years ago, it was so much different than it is today. It was even different five years ago before ICD-10 came into play. But probably one of the biggest areas is that you have got to be able to hire someone in your office who gets your, your specialty. They have to be able to understand it. They have to be able to see how everyone is paying. They have to know those items. No longer can you just have someone check someone in at the front office. You have to have someone that's leading that group in your practice manager that's knowledgeable about how claims go out. And I think for podiatrists, I don't know that podiatrists truly understand that outside of oncology, you have the most nuances in your billing than any other specialty. And so I think that when, when you're looking at what to do, it's very difficult in some areas of the country to find employees that can on a regular basis be understand that they've got to check frequency. I've got to check medical necessity. I've got to make sure the diagnosis are in the right line. I've got to, eligibility is really important. I've got to make sure I do that. I've got to be up on DME and where does that claim go and how do you bill it? And one of the, I think one of the bigger things that's an issue is global days. We don't really, when we have podiatrists, no one really thinks about the amount of global days that you have between procedures when you have your chronically ill patients coming in. And I don't have to say that in most other specialties with the total amount of consistent items that you have got to have somebody in your office learn. And if you have somebody and then they retire or they leave, it is very difficult to find that person to be able to do that. Yeah. And I think that's a really, I think just having the staffing and the knowledge, we have seen our field and our, uh, our field and our company grow just from that. You know, it's too much for a provider to have to think and worry about that anymore. They don't want to worry about, am I going to get paid this month? They want, they want someone to take care of that for them. And, uh, any provider that has great staff and the ability to get those, it's an incredible thing. But if not, it can be such a, a honestly a bad part of their day every day and, and gets in their mind. And to me, it doesn't allow them to practice medicine as clearly because they're focused on that. There is I know you've probably seen this because I've seen it a million times. Uh, so-and-so has a biller, Betty, let's say, or Johnny, so it could be Johnny. Um, and then the biller gets sick and they start looking into stuff and they realize, you know what, Johnny or Betty wasn't what I thought they were doing. They just were hiding things in a nice little neat drawer. And now that's brought bubbled it up because they were out for a couple of weeks and I wanted to get paid. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen that happen or somebody's made that comment. And this is a biller they've had for years and years. Yeah. I don't know how they even keep up one biller. Uh, those days are gone. And, and that's, I think, has helped the boom of people looking to outsource for sure. And I'll add to that, Jeff. And you've heard me talk about this. You've read the things I've written about this, that a lot of people get hung up on the price of outsourcing rather than the cost of outsourcing. Right. And there's two different things. When, and Margie said some things that I couldn't agree more with, that you have specialization of labor. That's 
so important when you're you're outsourcing. And number two, you have the what you're what you're referencing now. You have a consistent labor force. If somebody gets sick, you're not worried about absenteeism. Your process continues. When you think about all the training that's necessary, when you think about all of the technology that's behind revenue cycle management, the cost of outsourcing, even though the price may look different, the cost of outsourcing is actually less than trying to do it in-house. Then you add, then you add the intangibles of if the process is not working well in-house. That's a huge intangible opportunity cost. Well, I think you're relying on an office uh, where offices typically are laid back, whether you're one doctor or 10, that front office group are typically laid back people to some extent. They are not forced like a billing company uh, to really know how much, how many, how many patients did we see today? How many did we balance back to, you know, there's not as, there's, there's not as stringent of setup to have, be able to check behind everyone. Because when people get too close as, you know, good friends, which our employees are too, but you still have to have that line of this is a business and we need to take care of it. And uh, I want, you know, our employees have been in our, we were doing the numbers the other day and our average employee has been with us over 17 years and uh, they've been through all the changes. They hate this time. <laughs> they hate this time the most because there are so many, but um, I think that's what's missing too is, is a doctor trying to rely on finding that person who can be all things and, you know, to be able to manage the, you know, pay the bills on time, keep up with the employee insurance and make sure that everything else is going correctly in their office. Yeah. Would you uh, address this? Because this is, I think the primitive instinct of why doctors are hesitant. They know from a financial point and dollars and cents, that's where they should go. But there is this innate, and I don't know where it comes from because I've never had this, but I, I hear it all the time. They lose control if they give billing out as an outsource thing. I think it's the opposite. I think you gain a lot of control because now, like you said, they're holding you to a standard that they never held their staff to. And there's a check and balance of what's going on. So there's more control, I think. I know in TrackNet there's more control because it's the same software and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, would you address it? It's an emotional thing, I think. Uh, I've seen it. it. It really is. I mean, it is one of the things that uh, many providers, and I'm not going to say all of them, but they don't like any conflict in the office. They, they really they really just want to take care of patients. They don't want to have to, most of them really don't want to have to deal with all this stuff. And that's why it's very easy to just close your eyes and hope for the best. Um, a lot, a lot of things happen when a provider starts thinking about making this decision and then the office finds out because in their minds, they're like, okay, we're going to work harder. We're going to do better. We're going to blah. You know, they just go down this line of what they're going to do. Oh, and my uncle had a billing company and all these things happen. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Jeff, I think you're actually, you're, you're so right because once they come to a billing company, we are held to a much higher standard than they ever were in the office because they are getting more information than they ever had. When you start being able to provide a physician with data, true data about where they are, I think a relief comes, but also it is hard. You think it's going out somewhere over, you know, you know, our, our internet out there over the cloud. 
<laughs> well, you have to think about it. It's when you file the claim in your office, it's already out of your control anyway. So um, we get it a lot. And honestly, when we start, when we start medical billing in an office, we are, we are not liked. I mean, it's, it's very much, and, and we typically, and thank you for your support. Sometimes if we get into an office that just makes it heck and they're not willing to work together with us to move forward, it's not something we want to be affiliated with because it is, I think, is such an emotional thing for a provider to do. I really do. Yeah, I, 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 they, they've got to get over that. And the other part of that is it's not going to happen overnight because odds are they're coming to you because things aren't so great to begin with. And it's not going to be just flipping that switch. There's going to be a matter of a few months there to clean up the mess that, that's been hidden from them. And they have to realize that. Um, the only thing I'll put out there uh, for the doctors that are listening, if you're hiring a billing company you just have, and Margie, you, you, you'll recognize what I'm going to say, is if your office manager is coming to you and says, look, they missed this claim. They missed the modifier on this one claim here. That's a bunch of shit. And I'm just going to tell you that. That's because the office manager is trying to save her job. Anybody can miss one thing. So yeah. don't minutia something. Give, give the process a chance because we're all human and it's going to happen. Something will be missed. But I guarantee you the money that you've collected more because you've outsourced can override that one missed piece of crap. Just saying. You said well, that I agree. And that's hard to get to that level. I mean, be, because uh, so one of the things offices will do is uh, a, the office manager go, well, this is how we used to do it and get paid. What they don't <laughs> understand is you may have gotten paid that way that one time, but the correct way to do it is this way. Here, here are the rules. Here's what, you know, here's how you, what you need to do to get paid. And I think it's very hard and, and we do it for us. We really try to do it in a, um, the, uh, the most caring way possible when you're moving into that situation. And if sometimes if we have uh, someone on our side that may not mix with that office manager right away, we'll make a change because we want them to be able to build a relationship and we want them to be able to understand we really are trying to make them look good and give them relief on what they're doing in their job every day. Yeah, yeah it, it is. It is a difficult thing. It's a dance that has to be played. And I'm just telling my colleagues, play the dance, play it out, go for the go for the marathon. Don't go for the sprint because you're going to be better off financially, feel more secure. And like you said earlier, Margie, you're going to be able to treat patients and stop worrying about what's going on in that back office. Um, so that leads me. Let's let's get a couple pointers out of you. Um, let's talk about. Uh, any specific coding issues related to podiatry that you might have seen? And maybe it's, I'm throwing a 25 modifier on everything I see or 59 on everything I see. Have you seen any patterns for podiatry that are common mistakes that you want to warn some of our colleagues about? You know, over the last couple of years and then, you know, and then podiatry before, before there was all these rules in place, the, the biggest errors are, Medical, medical necessity codes and modifiers. Mm. Um, you can tell when we, if, if we're billing for someone, the doctor provider goes ahead and codes, codes the chart. It comes into the, you know, our queue and then we work it and make changes. We have to change a lot of that, especially within global days. Global days is another huge area that you can clearly see. There's not a really good understanding of how to do that. How do you treat that? And um, so I think in that area, that's probably 
those three items are the are the biggest things uh, from a, the perspective of easy to fix things if you clearly know how to do it. You hate that the frequency is an issue, but it is. And, and you know, if you're billing, you're sitting on the back end going, okay, seriously, they checked them in at the front office and they're looking right there at the last visit and they're 10 days ahead. How is this getting through all these other points and nobody's communicated with the patient that, that they're early? And uh, I think those are, uh, those are the biggest items. I mean, probably not something that's a, um, one of the things that surprised me the most about the podiatry providers that we work with, uh, which is probably around 150 of them, is the way that they value themselves from an E&M service. I, I can unequivocally say across the board, most of the podiatrists underbill on their in on their evaluation and management codes on their office visits on their um, any consultations things like that and a lot of that comes from if that's another thing that has changed dramatically and when i look at acuity levels just for our own knowledge on the back end you know i hope down the road some some providers will really stop run some acuity numbers on your office visits new and established in any hospital visits you have. Because when you go back and compare the notes to what they, they have, I will tell you that over 90% of the time when we're changing something, not one that's fine, but it is undercoded. And I think that shocks me the most. It really does. Um, because you are a specialist like any other specialist. You're no different than any other specialist out there. And I think it surprises me that more of you don't recognize that and code by that. And I know there's a lot of fear out there. Well, I didn't want to code that because I'm, I'm afraid somebody told me not to do that. Right, um, right. You, when you get a, if someone, if you have a coder come in and do a audit as if a Medicare auditor was doing it with their format, it's amazing how much you can learn in one sitting for 30 minutes on how you're doing. It, it is uh, an education piece. And what I've found, uh, especially on E&M codes, it's the lack of knowledge. They don't understand the bullets. They don't understand they're doing them, but they have no clue and they're afraid of the audit and all that other kind of stuff. And this is really uh, interesting. If I remember, you have a CPC, correct? CPC? Yes. Yeah. So you're speaking from a coding perspective and from what you're visually seeing with all your clients. Um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head it's it's education and they're afraid to bill it they are so margie let me capitalize on something you said and then ask a question relating to that um we you talk about e m and i completely agree that uh if the medical necessity is there and documented and and jeff this ties perfectly to episode five last uh two weeks ago when we talked about speakeasy because that gives you the medical necessity components I agree that uh, a lot of podiatrists are undercoding their evaluation and management services, but um, address, if you will, this common phenomenon that we see that I'm sure your team sees causing lots of rejections that are really not appealable when doctors inappropriately bill for an evaluation and management service along with a surgical procedure code. Can you talk a little bit about that so everybody is clear as to when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate to build an evaluation and management service. I'll do it on a couple of levels. Um, let's say uh, I'm a new patient and I'm coming into your office 
and I'm seeing you for the first time. This is my first time in this group and I've got an ingrown toenail. At that point, I'm not walking. I didn't, you know, I call you and say I have an ingrown toenail, but I'm not calling giving you my medical history. So when I go in that office, I expect to be billed an E&M code, an evaluation and management code for that procedure. It is the same thing as if you've never, you know, you haven't seen the patient before, or it's the first time the patient's in the hospital for something different and you're going to see them in the hospital and you do a procedure. It is the same, uh, the same thing where you can attach a 57 modifier on it. Um, I think the spirit of how that works is, is do, how well do you know the patient? And if you look at podiatry, a lot of your patients are coming in very regularly. Your diabetic patients are coming in on a regular basis. On a lot of those patients, you probably won't see the ENM every time you come in. But I have seen so many times in podiatry where the patient hasn't been in for eight to nine months and they came in for a procedure, you know, they had another ingrown toenail and an ingrown toenail was the only thing built out. Well, I disagree with that because, and, I, and, and from a coding perspective, because you haven't seen that person in eight months. You don't know what else has gone on in their life in eight months. And it is, it is good, it is best practice for you as a, as a provider to go through and do bill for an E&M code to see if there are any changes. And then, and then typically in that, what, what I tell in most specialties, I tell use pain because if I'm coming in with an ingrown toenail, most likely I have pain. And so you would attach pain. And then if they became a diabetic during that period of time, your diagnosis would be pain and a new onset diabetes. And then you'd have your ingrown toenail. Um, I think I, I try to let, let providers know, I mean, patients don't call and go, Hey, I'm coming in for this. I mean, sometimes they do, but what they more know about their body is this is really bothering me. This is hurting me. I can't put my shoe on those things. They're, they don't know what you're going to do in those situations. Um, it, it is, it is okay. You just have to make sure that you have documented in your note, uh, a separate diagnosis than what you're doing. Okay. So it sounds, it sounds like it comes down to that, to the basic of despite whether it's a new patient or established patient, if you can justify through your documentation that you have a need for a history of present illness, an exam and a medical decision-making, those three components of an evaluation and management service, you should be billing that E&M service as long as it's justifiable and documented. Correct, Margie? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Very good. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. <laughs> I thought we already were. <laughs> <laughs> Three of your best tips that you can give to our audience that helps get claims paid faster, less rejections, etc. Three. Can I have like one A, B, C, D, and E, two A, B, C? No. <laughs> we, listen, we have, to, we have to get through this podcast tonight, Margie. Okay. Um, the, the first and foremost is eligibility. Uh, it, it, is, it has to happen on the front end. Eligibility. And if you're not doing it automated, then somebody needs to be calling. Hopefully most everybody to, in today's world are doing it automated. 
But eligibility is extremely important because I can't tell you how many, even the clients we have now, patients don't have that insurance anymore and they haven't had it for a year. So eligibility on the front end is huge. I think the other thing is no, make sure that the person in charge knows the copays, uh, the deductibles and the balances. Because the, when you have that person standing right in there, that is the time that you need to collect whatever is owed to you. When, when they go home, it gets, it's more difficult because even if you've been seeing that person 10 years, when you call them on the phone, they're just going to say something. Okay. Phone calls don't even work when someone can't pay their bill. Um, along with that, I just want to say the other thing I would do as a practice because so many issues happen today with secondaries is let them know we are going to file your secondary insurance for you when we get paid by the primary. If it has not paid in the last 60 days, we are going to bill you because a lot of times they've already been paid for the secondary and they think we know and they have to check at home that they've already put in um, or we are, we are appealing something that already got paid to the patient. But I think you've got to keep that side clean. When, when you have your, your office calling for a $10 claim, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's really the route you should go. And I think that the other, the other thing is make sure in your office you have checks and balances. Now this category could go on for four hours, but you have to have checks and balances balance back to the amount of patients you saw that day balance back. When you, when your claims go to the clearing house balance back, there is a black hole in clearing houses, no matter how good they are, you need to make sure daily that you balance back to your clearing house and make sure that if you filed 50 claims that day, that your clearing house has 50 claims uh, because then that allows you to find out, okay, 50, but 10 were errors. And then you can fix them right then. A lot of people do not balance. And one day somebody comes in and finds this, you know, huge amount of claims that never left your office. Those would probably be my three things that I would stick to the most. Nice. Uh, um, before we run out of time, cause we're, we're just flying by here. I want to get to this question, John, uh, about fee schedules, because I debate this all the time with my colleagues. Uh, some doctors pretty much are billing the fee schedule and other doctors. And let's talk about Medicare because that's usually the primary uh, issue here is. And some doctors say, no, I'm going to bill 40 percent above Medicare's fees. And some say I'm going to bill exactly so we don't have to write anything off. There's a whole sorts of crazy logic behind this. I just want to get your take as, as a professional a billing company of what do you think, uh, what would be the, in the doctor's best interest? What we have done for 27 years is we follow the MGMA guidelines uh, and it has, it has high, it has low and high and median, and then they can pick the area where they're from in the country and it comes up with that. That typically runs probably 150% or 100% above Medicare. I'm not sure how much it is. We bill that and we've always stuck to that. Um, simply because there, I can't tell you how many times we have even providers that we started with you, their, their fees are so low, they're not getting paid what they should get paid. And so it's always safer to do it that way. Um, it, it used to matter, but I think it's better for a clean AR. Yeah, you know it's gonna be inflated this amount, but you if you use that same this, you know, MGA or whatever you're gonna use every year, uh, everything becomes consistent. Yeah. And I think the second part of that would be make sure you write off 
decide what you're going to keep in your accounts receivable. If you're going to have two years in there or three years, but write your stuff off that's bad debt and get it off the books so that you clearly can know where you stand. You mean a miracle is not going to happen and the money will fall from the sky three years later? No, it really doesn't. <laughs> and it's just hard for it's if you want to really know how you're doing, if you've got stuff from 2016 and 15 in there, you'll never know how you are. Yeah. So, Jeff, I'm going to ask um, the final question because it actually takes us full circle. We started talking about front end and what 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 we can do to really tighten up the front end at the front desk. But now the tail end of the revenue cycle are patient balances, Margie. So how do you recommend handling patients that um, simply won't pay their patient responsible portion? I will just tell you what we recommend. Some of our providers go with it, some don't, but we try to bring them back to, you know what, you're a business. And if you're in a small town, people know that you're the one provider that, oh, he won't send you to collections. She won't send you to collections. They know who you are. Other, we, we tell providers, you know what, decide to send them two to three bills. And then after that, if you don't want to use a collection company, don't use a collection company, but write them off. Because, and if you have a category to write them off, the next time they call in for an appointment, your person can see that they, you had to write them off to bad debt. And they can actually say, you know, before you see the doctor, we will need to collect $50 from your visit three years ago. So there's still a way to capture that. But yeah. um, I always say, I know collections companies seem very harsh to people. Uh, you'll be shocked to find out the most things that are on people's credit reports today are medical bills um, because doctors are, are far more likely to not get paid. But collections companies work if you find a good one. Yeah, sure. I, I think that's good advice. And what I've always found is our colleagues have no policy. They have nothing. Right. They have a ad hoc, well, maybe we'll send a bill today. Oh, it's been a while, let's send bills out. And that certainly doesn't work. And please know that a lot of times, you know, I, I'm a golfer and my first year in business, I sent a collection letter to Fred Couples' wife. He was my favorite golfer and <laughs> I lost my mind. And um, what you do, what we learned right after that, and we've never failed since, is that you there is a list that you run prior to sending to collections. And most of our providers want to look at their list to make sure that somebody, their wife isn't on it, their best friend's not on it, you know, so they can pick and choose of who goes to collection. So there is a process for that. So it's not just, you know, in the dark. Excellent. Good advice. John, time has flown by. Yep, it sure has. We, we, didn't, we didn't get to grill her. We didn't get to, to the juicy questions that she couldn't and answer. I'm shocked that the only curse word tonight came out of your mouth. I am shocked. <laughs> I did really good. You two phonies. I know. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Margie. All the time. You can't see it, but uh, while you're up tonight, uh, we have your name. We have who you are, uh, your website, all that kind of stuff. All I'll say is uh, if you're a TrackNet user, you certainly can call into TrackNet. We'll uh, connect you if you need to talk to Margie directly or if you want to talk about sales and switching to outsourcing. We're happy to do that for you. Uh, either way, if you can't find Margie, you can shoot us an email at essentialadaptations.com. We'll get it to her, uh, all that kind of stuff. But you've been very informative. 
And I hope our colleagues are listening because revenue is money and you can't operate without money. That's for sure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So uh, thank you, Margie. We're going to pull you out of the shot and uh, we're not hanging up abruptly on you, but we kind of are. And then we'll, we'll talk to, used to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to you at, at another time, but you, you did great. Thank you. All right. Take care, guys. Take care. Absolutely. So uh, um, Margie did uh, a great, great job here. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, I think she brought in a lot of the topics that we needed to hear. Yeah. These are common questions that you and I are always asked, Jeff. Absolutely. And she, and I, I do want to uh, emphasize this. She talked about our colleagues undercoding H&Ps and all that kind of stuff. That's because they're not documenting and they're afraid. Exactly. Boy, that's a speakeasy customer waiting, waiting to, to get an LCD compliant note just from saying H&P on X or whatever it is. So excellent. So we have a couple bits of business to take care of, John, uh, before we go. So let's talk about, um, oh, let's talk about the puzzler. Because yeah. last week um, we had um, we had a, a puzzler that um, we had to talk about. I think it was Alan Bass who um, actually uh, created this puzzler. And his puzzler was uh, the words, when we say Nemo Health, it was named Nemo Health for a reason. And what was it, what was it named after? Um, and uh, basically... Um, Oh, God, John, you're not going to believe this. I put up the next puzzler already, so it's kind of a weird thing that just happened, but you'll see you'll see later. Um, you lost me. What do you mean you put up a... <laughs> a picture came up. Uh, never mind. So anyhow, okay. last week's puzzler, Nemo Health. What did Nemo mean? What was it named after? There was a lot of uh, good guesses. Nobody got it right. I'm, I'm surprised, Jeff, because in the early days of Nemo Health, we talked about that robust. Oh God, yes, yeah. We we, we tell we told the story a number of times of where that name came from. Yes, we did. So basically, uh, Nemo Health was named Nemo Health, Nemo specifically, not because of the fish, not because we we're looking for something, but it was named Nemo because there was a snowstorm called Nemo on the East Coast, which actually prevented uh, you, John, from flying back east from. To a, from a conference in Detroit. So you were stuck here. And during that stuck, we had conversations, all the partners of Nemo uh, that are now, about uh, purchasing TrackNet. Right. So it, it, our it, predecessor just filed bankruptcy right. and felt an enormous obligation to our colleagues at that time. I think there were well over a thousand of our colleagues already using TrackNet at that point in time. And we just could not let that plug be pulled so abruptly. We had, Jeff, remember, we had, I think, 45 days mm -hmm, to put mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this so that our colleagues didn't come into work on Monday <laughs> and that they had no electronic health record. But yes, that is the answer that I got branded there as a result of the, uh, the, the tropical storm Nemo, which dumped, I think about a foot and a half or two feet of snow. Yeah. Airports closed, everything closed. It gave us the opportunity to sit down endlessly to work this plan out. And we decided right then and there, if you remember, if we were to make this happen, 
we're going to call ourselves Nemo. And that's really because where we were sitting, we we're sitting in a restaurant in the back. There was a TV on talking about tropical snowstorm Nemo. And it yeah. was all over the thing. I was like, well, what are we going to call this uh, crazy entity? And, and Nemo it was. So it's not a fish. Nobody got it right. So there will be no prize awards on this one. Um, so that brings in my next puzzler, John. And this, um, you, got, you might have to be old or maybe just a cartoon fanatic. This one's a cartoon. So uh, a specific cartoon that we're going to ask people to identify the character. What is the character name of this cartoon? And right now it's, it's on the screen. You probably can't see it because you're really just talking know, to me. I know what it is. Yep. So I you do. know what it is. And I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try and give a hint. So bear with me on this because I don't know if this is going to work. And if it does, it's just going to be really strange. And I might struggle to get off, but I got to play this. It's a, a verbal uh, sound that this character does. Let me see. Hopefully this will go. Let's, let's, uh, let's say, boy, you cover, I say you cover about as much as a flapper skirt in a high wind. Say, boy, oh, you yeah. cover, I it say wins. you cover about as much as a flapper <laughs> skirt in a high wind. So, uh, say, boy, you cover, I say you cover about as much as a flapper skirt in a high wind. Say, okay. there we go. So it was repeating over and over. Still not technology good, but it's more hits. So if the uh, question of the day is, what is this cartoon character's name? We gave you as much hints as we possibly could. Um, and absolutely, if you know the answer to this, we want you to email us at inf uh, info at essentialadaptations.com. And uh, that will get you the prize to the puzzler. It leads me to the last part. Uh, John, uh, about uh, what we're going to do for podiatry in the news. And I got a really big one, and we're going to talk about that uh, right now. So uh, the big one is um, that the New York College of Podiatric Medicine was sold. And um, I'm looking at this as a positive instead of a negative because it's being bought by the... Uh, um, uh, uh, I think it's Toro College and University and the New York Medical College are purchasing it as, as an entity. Uh, and only good, in my mind, can happen with podiatry when it's being uh, mainlined and uh, combined with a medical college. So yeah. for me, that's the podiatry in the news that's good. And I'm going to extend this out. If you are a student at the New York uh, Podiatric College and you hear this, and you send us that you heard it on info at essentialadaptations.com. I'll send you the prize pack, just like you were named as, as the person in the news. So uh, we'll see. Valuable prizes are to be awarded. Oh, my gosh. Un unbelievable prizes. So uh, that concludes our episode, John. Another one under the belt. And this was a really good one. Uh, I think medical billing is a great topic. We had so much more we, we could have asked Margie. Um, and she's so full of knowledge that it's unbelievable of what she's seen and, and how she can help our colleagues. Um, our next episode, John, is September 2nd. So I can't believe these days are flying by. That could mean that summer's coming to a close and these episodes are really flying. Um, as always, if you're listening and you uh, have a topic you want us to address, send us, shoot us an email. Um, and you can always go to our website, essentialadaptations.com, and you can see some prior videos 
prior episodes, snippets. I do snippets of the important parts of the episode. And you can also contact us there if you need to talk to Margie or myself or John. And uh, absolutely, always, always a good episode, John. Same here, Jeff. Great job. All right. Now now I can go to bed. These are way past my bedtime. (laughs) Me too, pal. All right. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you. Take care.